0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, I started this series a couple of three weeks ago, and I entitled it Participating in Prosperity because I heard those words from the Spirit come to me. And uh, so we started laying a foundation three weeks ago about the basics of our covenant. We know that God found a man named Abraham and he entered into covenant with Abraham and made certain promises to him that if Abraham uh, would, would agree with this covenant, if he would just accept it by faith and then act in faith, as he was directed by the Lord, he said that the Lord said, I will, I will fulfill this covenant with you and to your seed after you. And uh, sometimes that word seed simply means your descendants, but we know from the book of Galatians, we won't go and look at it today, but it's in the third chapter of Galatians. We know that ultimately the promise was made through Abraham to Christ. Because when it says that that, uh, he would bless Abraham and his seed, he didn't say plural. He said it in the singular. And we know in the New Testament that that seed is Christ. God raised up Abraham. And by Abraham, God raised up the nation of Israel. And there's a direct line of lineage right down through the ages to Christ. Christ is the seed of Abraham to whom the promises were made. Amen. It wasn't just about Abraham and the nation of Israel. They were part of it as descendants of Abraham. But ultimately, God was looking down through the ages. And when he was talking to Abraham, he was talking to Christ. says over in in Romans chapter 4, the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not made to Abraham and his seed through the law, but through the hearing of faith. And Jesus has come and he has received. Amen. The authority, he said, in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Glory to God. And he's transferred that authority to the church. And we know this. It also says in Galatians, if you are Christ. That's C-H-R-I-S-T apostrophe S. A little hard to say and hear it. If you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to the church. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. Amen. We are not only heirs of God. The Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ participating joint equal heirs with Christ glory to God. So all of the promises that God made to Abraham, he he's made to us. We also found out looking, I think it's in the 17th chapter of, of Genesis, uh, that, uh, yeah, that 17th chapter of Genesis tells us that God said that this would be an everlasting covenant. What does everlasting mean? Does that mean five centuries. It means forever. It's the same word that's used in connection with life, everlasting life. Everlasting life is eternal life, it's not ending. Well, this covenant that God made with Abraham, the Lord said, This will be an everlasting covenant to all of your generations, to each generation. It's just as real to this generation as it was to the first generation. Amen. Now there was a natural seed. At one point, he told Abraham, he said, "If you go out by the by the seashore, and if you can count the the, the, the sand that's on the seashore, then your the the number of your seed could be numbered." And, and of course, it's not a it's not a uh, uh, it's just a, 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 an expression meaning that that you can't number the seed. That's his natural seed. The nation of Israel, the Jews, and so forth. But then later, when Abraham began to act in faith, God took him out and said, now look to the stars. If you can count them, so shall your seed be. That's the spiritual seed. Oh, glory to God. That's who we are. We're one of those stars. (laughs) Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, we found out that without any... Uh, doubt that natural and, and material prosperity is part of the covenant. Now there are other aspects of the covenant that we're familiar with. So why aren't you talking about those? Because I'm talking about this one. I mean, I couldn't get up here and talk about everything. I mean, that would just take forever. But we just focus on one thing and material prosperity is part of the covenant. God told Abraham, he said, I will bless you. He told the children of Israel, his descendants, that he would bless them, that he would multiply their their, uh, grain and their oil and their livestock and their silver and their gold and everything they had would be multiplied. And they would build houses and dwell in them. And they'd be full of all good things that they didn't even feel. God said, I'll fill your house with good things. I'll bless your offspring and they'll prosper. I'll bless your cattle and they'll prosper. I'll bless all, I'll bless every area of your life. And that spiritually, but it's, and it's physically. We know that the covenant involves healing, but we're not talking about healing today. The covenant also included prosperity and it does today. This covenant, this covenant, the new covenant that we're in, it's new because it was, it was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. This covenant has all the promises that God gave Abraham and to his descendants. Well, praise the Lord. That's good news. I'll start my timer now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now we found this out. Let's go to Galatians chapter three. Kind of try to pick up where I left off. Galatians chapter three. In verse number, let's start in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. Can anybody shout for joy? Christ has redeemed us. He has purchased our freedom from the curse of the law. Now we know from reading the Old Testament and in the book of Deuteronomy in several places, the curse of the law is very clearly and and, uh, expansively spelled out for us. There's no doubt what the curse of the law involved. And the curse of the law involved poverty, not having enough, having things taken from you instead of given to you. So we know that poverty, among other things, but we're talking about this. Poverty's under the curse. Having become a curse for us, as we continue reading, for it is written, "Curses everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Jews. Is that what that says? No, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. So just that one statement shows us that the the blessing of Abraham wasn't just restricted to the nation of Israel, that there was a spiritual seed who would come. That the blessing because the Gentiles, outside of Christ, Gentiles have no covenant with God. Paul said they're without God and and, uh, with strangers from the covenants of promise don't have any agreement with God. But in Christ, hallelujah, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in union with Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Let's continue reading. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to your seed who is Christ. This I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was conformed, confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For the inheritances of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Notice that the covenant was confirmed before we ever came on the scene. When it says it was confirmed before, it's talking about in Abraham's day. It was confirmed before in Christ. Tells us that God was looking at Abraham and looking down through the ages to Christ. Now, we pointed this out in a previous session that that even a man's covenant, using ordinary human covenants as an example, that once a covenant is made, no one can annul it or add to it. That is other than the, the, the principal people of the covenant. Whoever's been identified in the covenant as as, what's the term, Angela? The person in the covenant that can make a, you know... Huh? Yeah, but there's a term for the person, successor, or somebody, you know. Anyway, anyway, you know, the co- any covenant you entered into, it has it has parties, and, and the and the actual party that uh, signed the covenant, they can they can change it, but but the covenant is in, that we're talking about is between God and Christ, and neither of them will ever change it. They're the principles of the covenant. God made a promise to Christ. Christ made a promise to the father and neither one of them can change. Neither one of them can fail. Neither one of them can can, uh, uh, double cross the other one. They're both in agreement. So because of that, no one can annul the covenant. No one can say the covenant's not in effect anymore. Now, you can say it and you can divorce yourself from it. It doesn't change the covenant. You can do what you want to, but I have a covenant with God. (laughs) And it really doesn't matter what you think or what other people think. You have a covenant with God. And if you will, by faith, believe in that covenant, you can enjoy the benefits. Because nobody can can annul it. And, And it also says no one annuls it. Or adds to it. The Welsh translation says, "No one adds stipulations to it." The devil will he will he will try his best to add stipulations. Well, you know, you didn't do this, and that doesn't belong to you, and that was for another. No, those are all stipulations. You can't you can't add stipulations to it. You can, I mean, religion does. But it, but it doesn't stick. It doesn't affect the covenant. Just because, just because some theologian theologian somewhere said, well, you know, prosperity is not for the church today. Well, just, long, just because they said that doesn't mean it's true. That's a stipulation that's not in the covenant. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. And since it's by faith, Paul said it's by faith to all and upon all who believe so that means if you if you can believe you can participate in the covenant we're talking about participating in the covenant amen now go with me to deuteronomy chapter 8 deuteronomy chapter 8 i want to go back over something i said earlier deuteronomy chapter 8 talks about all of the material blessings. Verse number six, it says, therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord, your God to walk in his ways, to fear and to fear him. Well, now we know today that Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. And we know from the 13th chapter of Romans that love is in, in, uh, in, uh, takes into itself gathers into itself all the other commandments if there's any other commandment it is it is comprehended in this one commandment, commandment that we love one another so we're not keeping the law because we've been delivered from the law but we do have one commandment that's the commandment of love to walk in love if you walk in love you're going to treat people right if you walk in love you're going to come to church And a medal? The scripture says do not forsake. Do not uh, 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 neglect the assembling of yourselves together. And that word neglect has in it the idea of abandoning someone. You see, whenever people are not faithful in coming to church. You say, Pastor, you're changing uh, uh, the you know the the subject here well I, I might be but it's good when when people choose choose not to come to church i'm not talking about on vacations and holidays you know that's that's different but people who just stay out of church just come when they feel like it their their attitude is well the church can get along fine without me that that's that's the idea of abandoning someone. If you abandon someone, you say, "Well, you can make it on your own." So so when people uh, do not, when people are not faithful in participating in their church, they're really abandoning their church, and that's not walking in love. Because we all have a contribution, we all have a part. To bring, we all have a supply of the spirit to bring when we come to church together. And when we don't do that, that's not walking in love. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. If you walk in love, you'll treat people right. You'll come to church, you'll tithe, you'll give offerings, you'll do, uh, you'll serve. You won't just come to church and just sit around and let everybody else carry everything. Just let, you know, a faithful group of people do all of the serving. And you just sit and enjoy the service and you don't do anything. That's not walking in love. Everybody smile like I am. (laughs) That's the truth. That is not walking in love. Well, praise God. Let me move on. I might come back to it, but that's all right. Have we found Deuteronomy 8? Let's go back to verse number Six. Therefore, you should keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack nothing. That's material prosperity. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig, dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not walking in love. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. I'm so thankful my God's a God of multiplication. He doesn't just add to us, he multiplies. Glory to God. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now we know the parallel is is that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and brought over into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. Amen. Now let me let me say this too: that when we talk about prosperity, we're not talking about arrogance. We're not talking about uh, ostentatious behavior and displays of, of of wealth. We're not talking about showy wealth. Amen. There's a there's a lot of discredit that is foisted against the gospel and the church because of some preachers on television that have such such an ostentatious, over-the-top, showy display of their wealth. Say what you want to, but it's true. It used to be when people talked about Christians you know, in general, uh, people were generally respectful. But today, when you start talking about uh, Christianity, people, you hear it on the job. I know you do. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I work here, so I don't, I'm not, you know, on a job somewhere else. But other places I go, something is brought up about Christianity or brought up about preachers. And people immediately start criticizing all those wealthy preachers on TV. Has anybody heard that? It's because of the way things are presented. It's not wisdom. Listen, I'm not opposed to, to any minister having a jet airplane. If you need a jet, have a jet. I don't care, have two. I don't care if you need one. Pastors need buildings and they cost millions of dollars, but we have to have them. Traveling ministers often need airplanes. Because that's, that's what they need to get where they go. So I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> but it's not wisdom for preachers to go on TV and be constantly bragging about all of their wealth. It's not talking about I'm not talking about being ashamed of wealth. But I'm talking about presenting this bragging, this over... display, Always talking about how much money they have and how much... It's not helping the cause of Christ... In the world. Yeah, but it's inspiring people to give to me. Well, it might be. <laughs> if, that's, if that's their attitude, that, that might be true. But it's turning the world off. Big time. Now, you know this outside of, of ministers, but just people in general. Some of the, the, the people who are the, the, the wealthy people who have the most class are the people that don't talk about it. They just go through life. They're unassuming. They don't put on airs. And I'm not saying that they that they live poor. They live very comfortably, but they don't they don't they don't try to show off all the time. That turns people off. That's just in the natural. Well, it's true for Christians and ministers too. Well, praise the Lord. So we're not talking about uh, being showy when we're talking about being prosperous. He said here he would bless. You multiply your herds and flocks and silver and gold and all that you have. He said, don't let your heart get lifted up. Don't let you, don't become full of yourself. Live humbly before God and before men. And that, that draws people to Christ. Amen. Now, this next a uh, few verses, he talks about you know forgetting Christ and um, or forgetting the Lord, and uh, he said, "Then you say in your heart, verse seventeen, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth." Everybody say wealth. wealth. What does that mean? What does the word wealth mean? An abundant supply. That's true, but let me let me just. In 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 naturally speaking, what does wealth mean? It means a lot of money. Come on, folks. Doesn't it? Everybody's trying to, you know, dance around and it means money. When you say somebody is wealthy, that doesn't mean they have a lot of socks. Oh, that man's got so many pairs of socks, he must have a barn full of socks. If he's wealthy, it means he's got lots of money. Come on now. Try to get religious about things. You say in your heart, my power and the might of, hand, of my hand has gained me this wealth. That, that's not a possible, the temptation to say that wouldn't be there if you didn't have wealth. If you're sitting in a, in a uh, uh, drug house, a crack house, You don't walk outside and say, look what I've done. Look at this marvelous cracker house that I live in with all the windows blown out of it. No, this is talking about somebody who has wealth. He said, don't get lifted up and think that you did it when God did it. Amen. Verse number 18 says, and you shall remember the Lord your God For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Did it say that? It is you, it is God rather, who gives you the power to get wealth. Then the rest of that verse says that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. So now this was in the generation of Moses. This was years after Abraham, this is talking about his seed. And he said that God wants to establish his covenant, the same co- excuse me covenant, that He gave to your fathers, as it is this day. Well, that's still true today. God wants to confirm the covenant which he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just like Eve. they were standing here today. As if they were standing right here today. Glory to God. Now listen to this. One translation says here in, in, uh, that he may establish his covenant. The uh, Bible in better English, uh, uh, basic English says, so that he may give effect to the agreement which he made by the oath. You know, an agreement does, isn't, isn't any good until it takes effect. God wants to give effect. He wants to make it effective, the agreement. He does that by giving us wealth that he may confirm his covenant. English Standard Version and the NIV says. The New Century Version reads this passage like this. It is he who gives you the power to become rich. Keeping the agreement he promised to your ancestors as it is today. It is he who gives you the power to become rich. Now I know that this makes religious people uncomfortable. To be talking about rich in church. But you know I'm a Bible teacher. This is B-I-B-L-E. This is the book for me. We're not talking about showiness, but we're talking about God's blessings in abundance. It is he who gives you the ability to become rich. Now, does that mean that everybody's gonna be a multimillionaire? Not necessarily, might be, could be, likely will be. But not necessarily right now. Being rich is... And I think this is what Doug was alluded to. Being rich is having a full supply. See, my wife and I are rich right now. We're we're materially rich. Financially rich. What does that mean? We can do what we want to. When the Lord lays something on our heart to give, we can give it. If we want something, we can buy it. Now... I can't buy a yacht. I can't buy a jet airplane. I don't have houses, you know, all around villas all around the world that I can go to and vacation in the south of France and all those places. I don't have those things. Do I like watching TV and the lifestyles of the rich and famous and watching them on their yachts? Yeah, I enjoy that. That's fun. And and, come on, don't don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You watch those shows and you think, boy, wouldn't that be nice to have my own yacht? Ooh, boy. Now, come on. We all like to watch that stuff. But the truth of the matter is I don't have time for those things. I cannot pastor and maintain a yacht out in the ocean or villas all over the world. Can't be done. I can't, I can't, I can't, do what God's called me to do and do all of those things. So, I'm re- do I like to, you know, to fantasize a little bit sometimes? Do I enjoy that? Yeah, that's fun, but really, I'm not interested. I'm really not interested. I'm interested in doing what God's called me to do. And my wife and I have the ability to do what He's called us to do. We have the ability. And if we want something, I, I don't want. I, I really don't want a fleet of exotic cars. Do I like them? Oh, yeah, I like them. I like cars. And, and, and particularly uh, 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 vintage cars. You know, uh, the, the uh, uh, exotic cars, but the older ones. Yeah, I love them. I, love, I, don't, I don't have any. And I, and I know that if I had a bunch of that stuff, it would consume so much of my time. Somebody gave it to me, I would probably keep it a little while. And then I would sell it and tithe to God. Because I just can't keep that stuff up. So everything that's on our heart to do, we can do. That's being rich. That's being rich. God wants all of us to be rich. Amen. And rich is different to different people. Like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a millionaire, but it might. It likely, for a lot of us, it likely will and does. But still, that's, it's not about a number. It's about being full supplied, fully supplied. God wants us to have full, a full supply and not be hindered in life because we can't make our ends meet. We can't pay our bills, can't get the basic necessities and the thing, even some things we do like. I don't have a lot of exotic likes, but I have a, I have a few nice likes. You know, I like it, I like a nice truck. I like, I like a nice home. We just built, or are, are almost finishing, a nice patio behind our house. I like that. We can do a few of those things, you know. And yeah, they're extras. God will let you have extras. And your extras are between you and him. It's not between you and anybody else. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. None of this was in my notes. He says here that he... It is he who gives us the power to get wealth, to get rich. He gives us the power. Now I said this, that the power to get wealth, now listen, the power to get wealth is giving. That's the power to get wealth. Because getting wealth is released by giving in the same... Notice, go with me to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, familiar passage. Most of you know, but I want you to look at it. Proverbs 18, and look at verse number 21. Very well-known verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, when he's talking about death and life, he's talking about the spiritual forces of death. The spiritual force of death operates and emanates from the the kingdom of darkness. It's Satan's nature. Death and life. Life comes from God. Eternal life, spiritual life. Well, those two forces, he said, are under the power of the tongue. Those who love it, either death or life, or, or, or rather love it, speaking, talking a lot, will eat its fruit. One translation said, you'll have what you say. Now, the power giving activates or releases the blessing of God and wealth in the same way that the tongue Releases either death or life. Your speaking activates either death or life. Either blessing or cursing. Your tongue is... The the power is released through the tongue. In the same way, giving is... Or or, uh, uh, riches are released through giving. You remember... remember the woman that came up to jesus touched the hem of his garment the bible says that jesus knowing that virtue had gone out of him he turned to around to find the woman who had touched him now healing power went out of him and went into that woman that right he tried to find who who around him had touched him in faith and finally, when she, was, when she spoke up, he said, your faith has healed you. Your faith healed you. Well, was it her faith or was it his power? Because we know that power went out of him in her body and healed her. Out of his body into her body and healed her. So we know that the power healed her, but he said, your faith healed you. What he's saying is faith released the power. The power to heal her was under the control of her faith. The power to get wealth is under the control of our giving. That's what I meant when I said the power to get wealth is giving. That's the power. You have the power to get wealth God's way and that power is giving. That's, that's what God has ordained. Go, go, we're in Proverbs there. Go back to the 11th chapter. Look at the 11th chapter. Verse 24. There is one who scatters yet increases more. That means he gives. Gives away and increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right and it leads to poverty. That's a spiritual law. That giving brings increase. Hoarding back, keeping back that which you know you should give tends to lead to poverty. You can't, you can't get around that. That's a spiritual law. Verse 25 says, the generous soul will be made rich. Why? The power to get, to get wealth is giving, being generous. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters others will also be watered himself. <laughs> God set it up that way. When it says that God gives you the power to get wealth, that's not just saying He gives you, you know, the the uh, the wherewithal. Say the business sense or the or the investment sense. I'm not saying He doesn't do that because God gives wisdom in everything, but it's not just talking about the innate ability to be a wealth producer. When He gives us the power to get wealth, this is it right here. The power to get wealth is by giving. That's what he's ordained. Because people who don't have the greatest education can still prosper. People who really don't know anything about stocks and bonds and investments can still prosper. People that don't know anything about business and they don't really own a business, just work for somebody else can still prosper. The prosperity is not in your business ability. Prosperity is in your giving. God set it up because everybody can give. You don't have to be particularly smart. You don't have to be from a good background. You don't have to have an education. Any of those things, you can give what's in your hand. And God says, that's the key. That's it right there. That's what brings wealth. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Luke 6, again, this is not a scripture you don't know, but I'm proving a point here. Luke six thirty eight says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's the power to get wealth right there. That's the key right there. God will take what you give and he will give it back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. In other words, God will take what you give and he'll give it back to you in much greater proportion than what you gave. Now, here's what hinders a lot of people. They give, but they only give a little, just a little bit. And God's blessing them, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But it's based on the measure they used. I say it like this sometimes. You know, if you want to give thimblefuls, God will give you thimblefuls back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That might be a whole cup. But if you want to receive abundance, start giving gallons instead of thimbles. Because good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, of gallons would be greater than that of thimbles. How did he say this? For with the same measure that you use, it would be measured back to you. He said, Sounds like pastor's just trying to raise an offering. (laughs) No, I'm not. Offerings already been taken up. That's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you, when my wife and I got really serious about generosity, to where we agreed with one another that whatever the Lord says to give, now listen, we don't just go around just handing out money on the street corners. Don't misunderstand me or anywhere else. But when my wife and I got serious about taking the, 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 the boundaries off and just saying, Lord, whatever you tell us to give, I mean, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to obey God. When we did that, we started prospering beyond what we had ever prospered before. And it came as a result of, of becoming generous, just being generous, just being generous. I'm not looking for anything today. I'm looking for your prosperity. And this is how it comes. Amen. There's nothing wrong with uh, studying wealth strategies. I've read some of those books myself. I just never could get them to work. (laughs) But I'm sure they work if people know how to work them. But that's not God's plan. Not, not, it's not against that. God may lead you to, to do some of these, you know, some of these things. But God didn't intend for His people to go to the to the, and and just be scurrying around for the latest uh, scheme or proven process. I'm not saying that it's wrong. You understand? I'm not saying it's wrong to know these things. But God has a better way than Christians running around trying to figure out how to get rich in the natural realm. Because not everybody is going to be able to do that. But everybody can start where they are. And just start. Listen, develop a generous hand. Start, if, start developing generosity in your giving. Now I'm not talking about to the church. Only to the church. But to anything that Lord gives. You know, if you see somebody... You're talking to somebody and, and just somebody you meet and you see they have a need and you feel that prompting in their sight, just give them a hundred bucks. Just give them a hundred bucks, just a hundred dollars. So I don't have that. Well, what do you have? Well, I can't give them that. I've got plans for that. If the Holy Spirit prompts you, just obey. Just obey. Just obey. And, 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 and be generous about it. God, you will see what my wife and I have seen. You will begin to see stuff coming to you like you can 't already believe it just it just starts by being just that 's the power to get wealth that 's it right there. Well, praise the Lord glory to god i 'll stop right there I, I was going to read second Corinthians nine that 's a verse nobody knows <laughs> What does what does it say? It says that if you give, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you if you sow stingily, you you could do more, but you just this is this is your quota. This is what you've set aside, and and and, and you're just going to do this. But you could do more. That's giving sting. I'm talking about. It led of the Spirit and led by the Bible. You don't have to be led of the Spirit to tithe because it's already in the Word. But whatever you give, how will you give? If you, if you give with a stingy kind of sparing, just, just barely enough to just make a, you know, just to make a, you know, a statement of some kind that at least you're giving, you'll receive in the same measure. But if he who gives generously bountifully will also reap bountifully now that's that's in the bible from the old testament to the new testament in genesis when in in noah's day god said as long as the earth stands seed time and harvest will continue that's the principle of sowing and reaping seed time and harvest it's in nature it's in it's in it's in everything on this planet is based in seed time and harvest. Yeah. Well, it's a principle that God set up and it's the principle he wants us to live by. Yeah. Sow, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Yeah. Philip's translation of that verse in, in uh, uh, is that in Galatians? It says that a man's harvest in life Will, will will depend entirely on what he has sown i'm wanting to encourage you to be generous in giving because you, that's the power to get wealth if you want to be wealthy if you want to be rich i didn't say if you want to have yachts and airplanes and all i'm not against it if you need it but god wants you to fulfill the call on his on your life and you can do it in style with every need supplied. If you'll just grow generous in your giving. i oh, praise the Lord. I intended this to go a little bit different today. But that's alright. This is true. This is. I want to say it the 14th time. This is God's way of making you rich. This is the power. Giving is the power to get wealth. It just is folks. Well, I I give a little, yeah, but there's so much power in it. Why would you just give a little if you know all the power to get wealth is in it? You would say, shoot, let me give a little more. Let me me respond a little more generously. Amen. It's just a matter of revelation, seeing it. It's the Bible. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.